How you get a business engaged and ready to look at productivity, it's got to accept that it has a productivity problem. Or, more importantly, it doesn't know what it is. It might be very productive, but it doesn't know how productive it is. And if you don't know how productive you are, you don't know whether you can improve it or not. So, really, it's accepting that there is a gap. Welcome to Laugh, Learn, Lead podcast show season two, Simplify to Amplify. Hi, I'm JC Jeanette Cremor, and I love interviewing industry experts to hear their stories and we share practical tips to get the best out of your business strategies. We talk all things people, process and technology. On today's episode, I have with me Mark Dougal. He has over 25 years of international consulting and management experience, including general management, project management, business improvement and operations. His work has been across a range of industries, including government, defence, utilities, mining, engineering, financial services, manufacturing here in Australia, Africa and Asia. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to share too much more because I'm going to invite him to share his story and background and a little bit about his business, Spiker. So welcome, Mark. Thank you, Jeanette. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's, um, you've got a huge background and wealth of experience. Um, where did it all start? <laughs> it all started, uh, uh, well, I've got an engineering degree, a mechanical engineering degree, so it started there, but uh, it's, it's when I joined the Navy when I was still a student. So I started my career there, but that led me to travel around the world. And um, when I got out of the Navy, I decided I wanted an international experience. So I went to work in Dubai, the United States and Asia, and um, eventually found my way into consulting. And I've been doing it now for a while and I love it. Wow. I've been to Dubai and the thing that that place intrigues me about, I call it a land of extreme because I felt that within meters, I was either in extreme desert or in you know, and poverty and extreme wealth, like yeah. within meters. So, um, very much so. Look, it's changed a lot. I, I was there when it was still actually a fun place to be. It's not so much anymore, I don't think. I, I don't know, but but I was there when it was still a little bit um, of a, a wild town. It was good fun. <laughs> I'm sure there's some stories in that. Yeah. So, in your consulting, what drove you to um, start a business called Spiker, and what does Spiker represent? Yeah. So, um, look, I'd, I'd worked for a number of companies over the years and I saw good and bad. And um, when I decided I was going to leave my previous company, uh, the last company I was at before I started Spike, I did a lot of soul searching as to what I wanted to do and ended up being that I want to stay a consulting consultant and um, I wanted to have my own business. So I, I I formed Spiker based on my experiences and what I thought was good and what I needed to replicate in my own business in terms of what is good. And it started with the name Spiker. So Spiker, we struggle a lot to come up with the name, um, but Spiker is an acronym for the values of the business. So the S stands for providing a superior service and being committed to that. P is persistence. You know, the work we do requires a lot of persistence sometimes and, and we've got to be persistent to, to deliver not just the outcomes for the client but the best outcomes for the client. I is about integrity. Um, I stands for two things, integrity and innovation. Integrity, you've got to be 
the client's got to trust you. They're trusting you with their business sometimes. And, and you've got to have honesty and integrity in order to, to, to basically honor that trust. So integrity is important. And innovation, you've always got to be thinking of new ways and better ways of solving problems. Um, the current crisis is certainly challenging us on that front in terms of how do we be innovative in today's world and, and what, what are those things. C is about commitments. The commitments we make to clients, we stick with those commitments. And that is to deliver a desired outcome, what we agreed we would do and what the client's seeking to get. A is about having an adventurous spirit and enjoying what you do. It's not just all work. It's about having fun when you work. And we spend a lot of time at work and it's about having fun there. And E is about evolutionary thinking. Again, this is part of innovation, but always being evolutionary in our thinking of how we're going to solve a problem and what we're going to provide um, our clients in terms of services. So that's spike wow. the story. Isn't that amazing that you've used values to shape your identity? And that's some things that I actually help clients with is that to be on brand is not about a logo and it's not about, you know, the, the, the label that you see above the door. It's about how you behave and how you interact. And yeah. so that's really great that your business is based on your values. Well, it has to be, doesn't it? I yeah. Think. Otherwise, you're not being honest to yourself or to the people that are paying you money to do things for them. So I think that's important. So on top of it all too, though, Spica is the largest star in the constellation Virgo. And I happen to be a Virgo. But that was purely coincidental, but I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> oh, I don't think there's anything coincidental for a Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't follow my stars. I'm not an astrologist, but I, I just, I don't know. I, don't, I just like the name of it. I like the sound of Spiker and, um, and I like that link back to my Virgo um, birth sign. So, Yeah. You were referred to me um, by a colleague of mine in my network and said that you are the productivity guru you live and breathe productivity what's your version of that in the workplace when someone says we need sure. more productivity it's really simple it's a ratio it's a, it's a ratio between the output that we produce and what it costs us to produce so you increase output by sorry you increase productivity by increasing output or decreasing your input costs um However, output is a challenging thing. What is the right work? What is the right value-added output we should be working on? So you modify that equation by saying it's a ratio of value-added output to the input cost, the total input costs. Somewhere like Australia, the highest input cost is generally labor. So it's really how efficiently and effectively your teams work. So mm. In simple terms, that's the definition of productivity. In, and so when um, a, a business was looking at their input costs, what be some other examples? You mentioned labour. Would it be? Labour, materials, um, energy. Um, rent. Rent. Um, that's not such a big deal. Most people, I think, overestimate or over-attribute how much rent costs. You know, if you're renting a bit of building, it is expensive, but compared to the, the hourly cost or the cost of your people, um, rent tends to be a smaller component to, mm. than that. And if you focus on rental cost as opposed to labor cost, you're focusing on the smaller of the two. Now, at the moment, there's a lot of discussion saying, do we need such big offices or such large workplaces? Can people keep working from home? I'm not sure. I'm not saying you can or you can't. But it's focus on 
the other um, elements of that equation or, or, or the definition of productivity. Importantly, output. What are people actually doing? I attended a talk recently. It was given by somebody in a very large um, company. I won't say who they are. And they talked about productivity. Well, what they thought was productivity. They're really talking about time management. Mm. And when I asked the question is, how do you know your people are being more productive? And he told me, he, again, he responded by talking about time management. I said, what about their output? How are you measuring that? He goes, oh, I don't measure that. So you don't actually know. Mm. So I used a simple analogy back in my day when I was doing um, activity-based costing. We talked a lot about input and output. Yep. And I used an example of a cafe and that an owner of the cafe wants to know the cost, but not just the cost, but how many lettuce you've used, slices of cheese, ham, butter, loaves of bread to produce how many sandwiches and how many of those sandwiches have we... So the input costs were all the things to make the sandwich and the sandwich was the output. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like how I simplify yep. input and output for um, businesses. And, and throw on top of that the cost of it took the person to actually make it. Make it, yeah. Yep. 10 minutes to make a sandwich, you can work out how much that costs. It doesn't take 10 minutes. But cafes are a great training ground. I use it to train consultants. I send them to cafes if I'm training consultants to go and do observations. And I get them to sit there, buy a couple of cups of coffee and look and observe what was happening in the cafe for the two hours they were there and then come back and describe that. And, and what they saw was right, what, what they saw was wrong. So well, cafes are a great training ground, actually. Yeah, well, there you go. Now, I use that analogy probably, oh, it would have to be 15 years ago when I was uh, doing some activity-based costing. So, yeah, well, there you go. So I was doing the right thing then. <laughs> Oh, that's a good place. It's, it's, and it's a simple way of defining activity-based costing, yes. Yeah. So for an organisation, like you're saying, you can go to seminars and webinars and you hear about how you can have productivity gains. But how do we know if an organisation is prepared to take on a productivity challenge? And you've written an article about the productivity challenge. Do you want to talk a little bit about that article, but then how do we know if organisations are ready to take on it? Yeah. So, well, the idea behind that article came around the definition of productivity. And in my experience, and I just finished doing some work for a a large utility, and um, a lot of the project, and this was like an 18-month assignment, you know, four or five consultants, it was quite a big piece of work. And um, um, a lot of the early part of the project was really getting the senior management management team to understand and agree on what they needed to measure to assess whether their teams are productive or not or effective. So sometimes it's better to use the word effective, not productive, because it's not as threatening. Productive is a very threatening word. Um, And when you talk to people and you ask them, okay, what do you mean and understand by productivity? I get the same answer as I described earlier. They talk about time and time management and utilization and you know utilization being other oh, people are at work so i know they're working well no they're at work you don't know they're actually working or producing what you want them to produce so that was kind of the seeds of that article how you get a business engaged and ready to look at productivity it's got to accept that it has a productivity problem or more importantly it doesn't know what it is 
It might be very productive, but it doesn't know how productive it is. And if you don't know how productive you are, you don't know whether you can improve it or not. So really it's accepting that there is a gap somewhere in their knowledge or understanding, the information they have available to tell them whether their business is productive and effective in doing what it's meant to do. I do a lot of work in the resource sector. And depending on the resource, um, um, the price can be, the resource price, the market price can be very high. Um, and so the companies, the mining companies, they rush, they run all over themselves to actually produce more or mine more of what they produce at an ever increasing cost. And um, um, once, and then they have kind of forgotten about productivity in that thing, in, in, in that whole sort of process. And then as prices come down, as they often do, or invariably will, then um, very quickly those two lines cross each other and the costs exceed their, their selling price and they get themselves into trouble because they've never really thought about productivity. It's only once you start thinking about it and then you are ready to do something about it. That's really insightful. They either don't know what it is, is was one, and that they actually want to do something about it was the other one. Well, they have but, to. They yeah. Have to. <laughs> oh, look, when I say they don't know what it is, I know it sounds almost um, condescending or even lofty, but in reality, you know, um, agreeing on what it is for our business and how we're going to measure it. Um, yeah. Mm, how they're going to measure it. That's, that's the bit I think that they don't know. It's mm. that how to measure it. So, yeah, that's interesting. So if I'm a team leader in, in an organisation and my boss has said to me, we need some productivity gains, Jeanette, you know, get out there and, and, and do something. What's something that a team leader or manager can do to help their people be more effective, productive? So before I answer that question, can I just take a step back and look at what are the steps an organisation can do or a business can do to improve productivity because then that's what the team leader needs to do. So the first step is really um, look at the context and purpose within your own organization and what you actually want the business to be doing. And I don't mean this at a high level, you know, if you're a mining company, we're mining an ore, or if you're a university, we're educating students. Um, but more, more so at department, team level. What do we want them to be? And how do you link that back to the strategic outcomes or the strategic requirements of the business? So that's the first step. The second step is establish some visibility, as I said before. Have a, what do you need to be measuring? And then how do we get visibility of that? How do we collect the information? How do we get the visibility of that? The third step um, is defining what work we want people to do which leads us back to the first step is around our strategy tells us we should be doing A, B, and C. Well, how does that actually equate to work that, you know, Tom and Jackie and Bill are doing? And that comes at a team, team leader level. Um, the fourth step is really planning that work and the resources. Once we know what we want people to do, then we need to figure out what do we need to do to get the work done. Um, now comes controlling the work. And I don't mean micromanaging, but it's really helping and supporting our people to do the work. And that is 
setting clear expectations, having um, um, agreed outcomes, that, that sort of thing. And um, along the way, we just keep measuring everything. Measurements are great. Um, most people don't like it because measurements lead to accountability. And most people don't like to be held accountable. But accountability is not a bad thing. Most people equate accountability to risk and blame. But accountability is really about achieving the right outcome. It's about seeking help to achieve the right outcome. So, mm. so in terms of what a team leader can do, all of the above. But start by thinking and looking at what you want your people to be doing, engaging with them, talking to them about what they're doing well, what they're doing badly or poorly, um, and working with them to help solve those um, problems for them. The role of a manager or a team leader is not to do the work, it's to actually enable their people to do the work. And your role in doing so is really around, firstly, figuring out what you want them to do, clearly communicating them, setting them up to do it, training them, supporting them, helping them solve problems, um, removing obstacles and barriers, and um, measuring outcomes, celebrating success and addressing the issues that they have. Mm, that's, a, that's a good summary. So, <laughs> and there's a, lot of, there's a lot in doing that, and that takes a long time to get right, and you never really get it absolutely right, so it's a thing that's constantly evolving and improving. But, yeah, um, what I find is... A lot of team leaders and managers don't really talk to their people, not in the right way. And you'd be surprised if you just walk the floor. This is an old term from my old early consulting days, but walk the floor. You walk the floor, you talk to people, you engage with them to listen to what they have to say, not in a threatening way, but in a, almost a collegial helping way. You'd be surprised what you learn and what you can do and how your own team will engage with you. Absolutely. And I can remember I had a um, director general in Queensland government and his name was Bruce Wilson. And that gentleman would walk the floor and he would make it a deliberate commitment to actually go to each of the buildings and be on the floor with the staff yep. every, every week. And he might have only met you once, but I can tell you, he came to my office with my team. Three months later, I seen him in a different building on a different floor, passing, and he goes, hi, Jeanette, how are you? And I mm. went, wow, you're the director general of our department. You meet and greet people every day, and yet you have a recall ability. And how did that make me feel? So if people could start doing that old traditional way of walking the floor, and asking your staff how are they and what they did, yeah, it um, yep. I think make a, lot a difference. Of us, a lot of us have forgotten how to be good managers and good team leaders. I was working for a client last year, and um, they stopped calling their supervisors, a blue-collar environment, they stopped calling their supervisors supervisors and started calling them coordinators for some reason. And um, I remember talking to a couple of old, crusty coordinators and um, um, one of them said to me, when we're talking about the issues and challenges that they're facing, he goes, you know, I used to be a much better supervisor. I said to him, what happened? And he pointed to um, SAP. And, yep. 
and I know our mutual friend's a big SAP guy. <laughs> um, but so for, SA, for those that are listening, SAP oh. is a big enterprise system. It's um, finance, HR, Work, materials management, management project, everything. It's a big yeah. system that large corporates implement, whereas smaller businesses might be using a combination of um, zero and that's right. Um, other applications, but yeah, SAP. And he pointed to that. He goes, and his his monitor was on, and he had an SAP screen open. He goes, "Oh, that thing! Now I spend all my time in front of that." Ah, the said, dashboard. <laughs> and and I said, "Well, don't you just get out and go and do what you used to do?" He goes, and he almost like I gave him permission that he could do that again. Mm. And he started doing that. He said, "You don't need to spend so much time in front of that." Mm. You've know, you got other things to do. You should be doing other things. And um, you know, you got him a, we got him a bit of training, a bit more support and all that sort of stuff. But he kind of re, um, what's the word? Remembered his old um, supervisory skills and started doing, exercising him again. And he was enjoying his, himself a lot more at work. That is a very common story. Wow. So if a team manager could define their roles, understood what they did, talk to them more. What else could a team leader do to help their people be more effective? Well, there's two things. One, there's a number of things, but two things that come to mind. One is think, have a theme every week or once a month that you're going to follow this week. So it could be this week's theme could be rework and, yeah, rework. So you're going to be walking around your department, your team, talking to them about what rework they're doing, duplication of effort, that sort of thing, and engage them in a discussion around that and what experiences they've got and what's frustrating them and not. And then just saying, okay, what can we do to fix it? You know, and, and often it's something that the team leader or manager might need to take to one of his colleagues at his level because it could be generating from another team or another department, that sort of thing. Whereas the employee may not feel empowered to do anything about it, the manager certainly is empowered to do something about it. So that's the first thing, is have a theme that you're going to address and understanding what is going on in your, in your, um, in your team, in your little department, um, helps you formulate what is the theme, not the team, the theme for this week or this month. That's step one. Step two is empowering your team to solve problems that they can solve. And it's okay to come to me with problems, but also come to me with solutions and we can have a discussion around them. People feel really good when they solve their own problems. And mm. we do it all the time in our private, in our personal lives. You know, we don't have a manager to go to. We solve our own home problems, or our own financial problems and things like that. We might seek advice, but we, we solve them. Um, at work, sometimes we forget to behave that way. We think everything's mm -hmm. controlled and we don't have, we're not empowered to do these things. So helping your people feel empowered. Now, empowerment comes from within, but the role of a team leader is to create an environment where people can feel empowered. Mm. Which kind of gets me to thinking, is there something that an employee can do to make a difference if, if the, you know, the, the messages come down, we need to be more productive, the team leaders then walking the floor asking you know, what rework, what can an employee do themselves? So that depends, <laughs> depends. Depending on the type of work the person does, 
the employee does, the environment they're in. So you've got project versus non-transactional versus transactional work, it's blue collar, white collar. So to some extent it does, the approach, um, we can all do something about it, but the approach varies from uh, very much based on the type of work you do. But let's talk really around an area where non, non-transactional work that is less clearly defined that um, requires the employee to think a little bit about what they need to do before they do it, as opposed to I know, processing an invoice or you know, fixing um, a broken pipe or something like that that is fairly transactional in its nature. So in that environment, um, in, that, in that situation, um, an employee is going to encounter problems, obstacles, hurdles in terms of getting their jobs done. Now, they need to have the confidence um, to actually go and talk to their team leader or manager about it. But don't just go to them with a problem. Think about how you think it can be solved. So a lot of the solutions sit in our minds. And, you know, as a consultant, you've, we've all heard the term as consultants. You just, they, they, you ask them what the time is and they borrow your watch to tell you what the time is. Mm-hmm. The reality is, and I say, yeah, that's true sometimes because you're not looking at your own watch. So I'm just pointing out that the fact that you've got a watch and you can look at it and you can work out your own time. You've got a team. You've got a bunch of people working around you that are experts in whatever they're doing. So a lot of the solutions to the problems are there. So as an employee, you can, as, you know, as a, say, a front level, a frontline worker, you've, you're, you, you, you've got knowledge in there that is valuable. But that requires you to be working in the right environment, having a manager or a team leader you can trust that is open, that is, and we don't, not everyone is lucky enough to be in that scenario. We, you know, we've all had experienced the dragon manager. Mm. And, and that doesn't really help, help um, um, employees empower themselves to solve problems because they feel they're going to get their heads bitten off if they try and do something. But that really then falls on to whoever's above that level to address that. And that's, you know, you walk the floor. It's not just for a team leader to walk the floor or a manager. As you said, the director general walked the floor. Mm. And so we all have to walk the floor from CEO all the way down. Mm. And so that employee feels comfortable in saying, I think I'm reworking, you know, five hours a week here. Um, why do I have to do data entry of this form when most of the information is already in the system or something? So allow them to identify the the blocks right. or the rework That's and right. allow them rather than, yeah, stepping yeah. over them and involve yeah. them. Yeah, okay, that, that's really good. But look, if you've got a bad manager, that, that's hard and, 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 and that's a hard thing to do. It's not always easy to do. Um, um, and unfortunately, some people are stuck in that environment and if that manager's manager is not willing to do something or doesn't see it, then you know some people are not fortunate enough to be in the right team or the right organisation for that. Yeah. And how I've overcome that in the past is I've asked, I've presented, got the solution, and then yeah. if the answer's still been no and my team is saying uh, we, we can do this, what we have done, and this is kind of working in a transactional team when I was in an accounts payable team many, many years ago, mm. before we were SAP, um, we actually did it our new way 
and then presented the actual result to mm. the manager and said, you know how we offered to change our process and you kind of said, oh, no, that's how we do it. Well, guess what? The four of us have got together and now this is how we think we can do it and yep. yeah, we've got another two hours each or whatever it was. I can't remember the exact date. But we actually had to demonstrate it f- to allow our manager at the time mm. to know that there, co- there was productivity games if we just altered a process slightly. That's right. And, yeah, but by saying it was not really going to get through. So we actually had to do it and then demonstrate it to mm. say, hey, here's the result. So, so that's probably another tip that if pl- an employee can demonstrate it rather than just talking it. Yeah, that's certainly the case. You've got to, um, you can talk about it, um, but you certainly have to, in your own mind, um, be comfortable that what you're suggesting is work can work. At least it's worth a try. And where, if you can demonstrate it, certainly demonstrate it. Mm. Um, um, I think we've all been in that situation. I certainly have in my early life where, you know, you, you've got this bright idea, you take to somebody and they say, no, that's how we've always done it here, go away. Yeah. Um, and um, I think we've all had that. And you feel, you really feel dejected, don't you? And um, yes. it's just definitely, the opposite of, definitely the opposite of empowered. <laughs> uh, most certainly. And so you kind of, uh, and then you, you shrug off and you go and do something else or, you know, learn to live with it or, in my case, find a new job. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing the, like, that was really good. You talked to us about what productivity is, what the challenge is for organisations, mm. how they can be prepared, how team leaders can walk the floor, how employees can do it you know, and offer a way of um, solving the problem. How do you integrate your life? Like you are a busy consultant, you run your own business, you seem to have travelled before we were in lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, how do you integrate work and life? Um, it's actually not that hard. Um, during lockdown, it's actually a lot easier because I don't travel. It's about to change, luckily, but um, I haven't been travelling much, so I'm spending more time at home. Um, but I probably work less now than I used to. Mm. Um, when you have your own business, you can control things a little bit better. and. Secondly, I suppose, um, it doesn't feel like work most of the time. If you like what you do, it's your own business, it's your own baby, it doesn't feel like work. It's just I enjoy doing it. I, I wake up and I think about problems or issues and stuff or things that I'm dealing with with a client, and I enjoy that thought process. I could be out sailing and, that's what, and suddenly I just start thinking about that or out fishing and I suddenly start thinking about that, and that's okay. You know, it's... Mm. I don't see that as a problem, but we all have our hobbies and our interests. But um, I think as you get older, you probably become a little bit better at managing your time mm. and knowing, as I said earlier, knowing what is adding value and what's not. So I don't do the things that don't add value in my life or in my work. I Good point. And then that, make, that actually frees up a lot of time. It does. So you have your own productivity gains at home. Um, yes, to, to a degree. If you're married, <laughs> it's always a bit... <laughs> the challenging to be productive in some ways, but um, no, certainly I, I think we're pretty um, pretty well balanced from that perspective. Oh. And and COVID's made things easier in some ways. It's decreased business, but it certainly made things easier. Mm. Oh, there's some lessons in that about how we can do things differently. 
and still achieve some outputs without that. Yeah, anyway, I'm not going to even go there in this episode. Thank you, Mark. How can people get in contact with you? What's the best way if they want to reach out and understand a little bit more about the Productivity Challenge? Sure. So you can either look at... um, Look me up on LinkedIn. You can email me. I'm happy to share my email. Um, um, or, or on LinkedIn. All my articles are there. Um, I've got a website um, also. Um, mm. So um, my email, do you want me to give you my email? Yeah, address? please. And so my email is, my name, my surname's Dougal. So it's just mdougal, M-D-O-U-G-A-L-L, at spica, S-P-I-C-A-E, dot com dot A-U. My, I'm on LinkedIn as Mark Dougal um, and my website's just spiker.com.au. Mm. And I'll put those links on my website too so people can click through and find you easier. Okay, great. But you. I'm so thankful that we were we connected. And, uh, so am I. And because for me, you know, I'm trying to um, this season on the podcast is Simplify to Amplify. And that is all about productivity and it is mm. all about fine tuning. Um, so we're investing in the right thing at the right time. So thank sure. you so much for being a wonderful guest and um, talk soon. No worries. Thanks very much, Jeanette. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Jump on my website, JeanetteCraymore.com.au, the resources page, and download the Leveraging Insights workbook. It has over 50 tips from the first year of the show's episodes. It's a great online learning tool for you and your team. Until next time, keep smiling.